schedules we had this morning, so glad you guys are here. Everybody get a nap this afternoon? This has been a great day for a nap. I did not, so if I fall over, someone come prop me up, okay? Good deal. We're glad that y'all are here. We've got some, some songs we're going to sing together, so really excited about that, and Jeff's going to come and uh, continue what uh, Owen has started working through the, the disciples, and so really excited about that. Let's go ahead and open a word of prayer, and I hope you have your hymnal, and we'll go ahead and start singing together, okay? God, thank you so much for these people who are gathered here, and Lord, just uh, what an opportunity it is, Lord, to feed our minds and our hearts uh, with the truth of the good news. Uh, Lord, that, that story that we sang about today, that we love to tell that story, uh, Lord, Sometimes that story needs to be told as much to ourselves as it's to other people. Lord, the good news is not just for those who don't know the truth. It is for those who know the truth that we might remember it over and over and over again to abide, to remain in your love, and to remember that there is power in the blood that was shed for us. And so we thank you for that, Lord, and we just pray that you would help us to embrace these truths and to embrace them by singing them out uh, with all we have uh, tonight, and it's your name we pray. Amen. All right. If you want to stand or sit, I'll leave it up to you tonight. So do as you please. Uh, you can turn to hymn number 132. There is power in the blood. Now, some of my favorite memories of singing hymns growing up as a kid was that little little boy of myself trying to sing those those bass echoes, you know, of all the older men. There is power, you know. So if you hear it, hey, give it give it a whirl. All right. All right. Let's go for it. Would you be free from the burden of sin? This power in the blood, power in the blood. Would you leave the victory? This wonderful power in the blood. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power. This wonderful power 
precious blood are we thankful for the blood of Christ, aren't we? I know you can't clap with hymnals in your hand, but man, I'm, I'm thankful for that. Uh, righty, good deal. Uh, this next song, uh, Love Lifted Me, number 546, is, is nothing but a, a personal testimony of all of us who know Christ. Uh, if we're in Christ, then we have a story to tell, and that is that love, love lifted us, uh, that we were sinking deep in sin, right? And he came and, and he rescued us. So let's sing about that tonight. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deep, stayed within, seeking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me and saved, here am I. Love lifted me, love lifted me. When nothing else could help, love lifted me, love lifted me, love lifted me. could help. I love that line. Nothing, nothing could do but Jesus. All my heart to Him I give, ever to Him I cling. In His blessed presence live, ever His praises ring. Love so mighty and so true, merits my souls, my songs. Faithful, loving service due to Him. us uh, from who we were and brought us to who we are now. And we know that we lean on the everlasting arms. Let's turn to 333. What a fellowship, what a joy divine. 
thankful that your arm is not too short to save. Lord, that it saved us. And Lord, we of all people know our sin and our depravity. We are, as Paul said, we are the chief of sinners. And we knew what it took to redeem ourselves from who we were. And Lord, we pray, Lord, even as we talked about this morning, uh, Lord, for those that are in our life who need Jesus, Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would do a mighty act and work in their heart, that you would redeem them and bring them from the snares of the devil, Lord, that you would rescue them from that and from themselves and and make them be born again, living to a new hope in you, Jesus. And we pray and ask you to do all these things in your name. Amen. You can have a seat. All right. Well, um, Owen is getting ready to take a little much-needed break and vacation, and so he asked um, if I could fill in for him this week. But before we we get started, obviously today was kind of a different day uh, for us. We had our serve day this morning, and so before we got started, I know the rain kind of might have affected some projects. Some people did it yesterday and things like that, but just want to open up. Does anybody have um, just any testimony about what, what you got to do either this morning or yesterday, um, how you got to serve somebody, any conversations you have. Does anybody have um, something they'd be, they'd be willing to share with us just to kind of celebrate what God was doing through Serve Day?
Right. Good. Amen. Anybody else? Very good. Well, we will, um, we will get started. As Jaron said, we're going to continue um, to look at the disciples, kind of one at a time. And actually, tonight will be part one of a, of a two-part on Peter, um, given his, uh, his role in the New Testament and just the amount of material that we have about him. We're going we're to split him up. So tonight, uh, I'm going to look at his experiences, just some snapshots uh, not, not necessarily every reference to him, but some snapshots of, of his life as it's accounted in the Gospels. And then next week, Jaron's going to have a chance to look at um, kind of post-Jesus Ascension ministry and his writings um, and things like that. But I was a little bit disappointed when uh, Owen spent last week on Andrew uh, because since I was a little kid, Andrew has always been my favorite disciple. Um, and you might be thinking, well, there's not a whole lot about, about Andrew. Why would he be? It's a very spiritual and very biblical reason. But when I was a kid, do you guys remember? And I was trying to think of what it was called. You remember the VHS tape that was going right? Was it just the Jesus video or the Jesus movie? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? A few people. So they were, I mean, I remember like they were selling them door to door, maybe giving them away door to door. I don't remember. But my family had one, and it was just the Gospels in movie format, if you will. And Andrew had a bandana, kind of like the Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, like bandana. And I thought that was the coolest thing. He kind of looked like a ninja. Um, and so for my whole life, he's always been my favorite disciple. I was disappointed. Owen didn't even mention last week that Andrew is the coolest disciple. Um, so I feel like you, you guys did miss out on that fact. Maybe, maybe not strict canon, but I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure that's true. So I guess I'll be okay with, with Peter, who has um, a little bit of a role in, in the New Testament. So what we're going to do, um, just to start off, just some basic 
information about Peter um, and who he was. He was one of the several who were fishermen, uh, most of the disciples being from the Galilee uh, region. He was also, his, his brother um, was Andrew, who we, who we just talked about. Um, his calling was around the same time as Andrew. Now, his name, when we first meet him, uh, is actually Simon or Simon Bar-Jonah, which just means Simon, son of Jonah. Um, so Jesus is the one who gives him what I, I think I would call a nickname of Peter, right? And so the word, the word Peter um, means Petros or, or, or means rock, and it's intentional. Jesus didn't just give that kind of randomly to call him rock. Um, he had a purpose behind it. Um, now, when you think about a rock, or, so, or a, when you think of like someone personally being a rock, um, you think of things like steady, reliable, dependable, you know, not easily swayed or, or moved. And then you think about Peter, and you're like, that's not, that's not it at all. He's the, he's the exact opposite. He's the emotional one. He's the guy who, who talks first. He's the guy who talks too much. Um, he's the kind of who commits to something and then, and then kind of falls out, right? He's, um, he's constantly just talking and jumping to conclusions. He's, he's not what you would think of when you say the word rock. In fact, John MacArthur um, has, has given him a nickname as well. He calls him the disciple with the foot-shaped mouth, right? He, he is that, he's that disciple, and we'll look at a couple of examples of that. And so why would he call him that? I thought of when I was, uh, when I was in high school, oddly enough, I played tennis when I was in high school, and I had a coach who was um, not a particularly sensitive person, um, and so he gave me a nickname, and my nickname was Lightning. You can imagine, it probably didn't have anything to do with my speed. It was, it was the opposite, right? It was almost an ironic uh, nickname. I think Jesus, not to be mean-spirited, but Jesus is giving him a nickname of something that he is not. And in fact, it's meant to call him to be that, right? So Peter was somebody who might be excited. He might attack an idea or a mission or a goal uh, at first, but then he would back off. Jesus desired for him to mature past that point. He wanted him to stop being Simon, who, who did those kinds of things, who, who didn't follow through, and he wanted him to be Peter. He wanted him to be a rock. In fact, Jesus would even actually change um, what he called him, right? And so he didn't call him, even after he gave him the nickname, he didn't call him Peter every time. In fact, when he was kind of being his old self, uh, he would call him Simon. So when Jesus predicts that, that he was going to deny him three times in Luke 22, he calls him Simon, right? He, he knows exactly what he's going to do. Um, in fact, w- when Peter one time says, hey, I'm, I'm even going to die with, with you, I'm going to go all the way, Jesus responds, says, Simon, you're going to deny me three times. You're, you're not going to stay with me. You're not going to die for me. When he, when, when he falls asleep in the garden, he says, Simon, you couldn't stay up for an hour, right? You couldn't stay awake for an hour while I went and prayed. It's almost like when you were a kid, you know, and your parents would use the middle name. If they pulled out the full name, you knew something was wrong. You weren't, you weren't doing something right. That's almost how Jesus uses this. He's, he gives them the nickname, and he uses it back and forth as a reminder to him of who he's supposed to be, who Jesus desires and is going to enable him to be. Now, another aspect that, that we see, and we don't often discuss this a lot, is whether or not the disciples had wives. Um, Peter is actually the only one that we know 
must have had a wife. There's a reference um, in Matthew 8 <clears throat> where Jesus goes to heal his mother-in-law. And so that's the most specific example. There are a couple other times, like in 1 Corinthians, there's a vague question of, um, you know, did the other disciples take their wives with them? So it kind of suggests that maybe some others had wives. Uh, but Peter's the only one that we can say for sure, yeah, he, he absolutely um, had a wife. Um, and this adds, when you think about Peter's calling and, and Peter following after Christ, it adds somewhat to what, what that meant for him what kind of a sacrifice that it would be, right? So we knew he left his nets, and uh, we knew he walked away from his job and other things, but he, he had to be away from his family for extended periods of time. Now, we do have some reference that later on in his uh, apostolic missions, um, he, he probably took her with him. In fact, she gets involved in, in his ministry. And in fact, there's even uh, references to her being martyred um, alongside Peter. Um, so she was very much involved in the process, but just something we don't, we don't touch on um, very much. When you think about the disciples, you think about kind of their rank, Peter was the leader, right? He was, he was the spokesman for the disciples, right? Sometimes too much, like we said, he would, he would speak up a little bit too much, but he was obviously in the inner circle, uh, the core of Peter, James, and John. In every list that you see of the disciples, um, he's, his name is always first, um, so, and those, those seem to be like they're listed in terms of how close they are um, to Jesus. For example, most of them end with Judas Iscariot, so you can kind of assume that there's a, a, a list, a priority list, if you will, of who's closest, who's most intimate, Peter, James, and John, and then Andrew, all, all kind of being towards the top. Um, and so it's likely that he was even considered among the disciples as the first. There's, there's a, a one in Matthew 10's list, it uses the word first, and it uses a specific word that actually probably means foremost. Like it's not, hey, he's just the first guy we're going to list. He's the foremost. He's, he's got the weight. He's the heaviest. Um, and so he was kind of their leader. And then you, then you even look at things like after Jesus' death, right? And he was one of the first ones just to go back to his job. Well, then all the other disciples just kind of followed after him, right? He was, a, he was an example, um, so they, they kind of follow followed his lead, whether they should have or not. Um, they, they followed his lead. So those are just a few things about who he was. And so what I want us to do um, is look at just a few key moments. We're not, we're not going to hit all of them tonight just for, for time's sake. Um, but a few key moments where we can see Peter primarily, we're going to be looking at the Gospels, um, and we're going to learn about him and what tells us about the way that he interacted with Christ, and, and obviously more importantly, how Christ interacted with him, how, how Christ affected and influenced him. And so as we, as we read through these, and as I was reading through them, it's easy to kind of get in the mindset of, man, Peter messed up a lot. Um, but I think when I read that, I am overwhelmingly grateful that, uh, that the canon of Scripture is closed. Because if somebody were reading the book of Jeff or, or the story of Jeff, there would be more than just a few embarrassing moments, a, a few embarrassing stories of, of my sin and my mess-ups or my talking too much or whatever. And so as we read through these, it's, it's important we not just take this negative view about Peter um, because we're going to see Christ does a lot with him. And I hope that we see ourselves and we can kind of relate to who he was. And so in... Uh, the, the first thing that we want to look at is just his calling. 
And this will be the most, kind of the most scripture that we'll read um, of, of him specifically tonight because I want to point out um, what could be seen as a difference between the Gospels. So in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, his calling reads like this. It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now then when you look at John chapter 1, it reads like this. It says, One of the two who had heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Right, so that's, that's where he gets that nickname, Peter. Now, these two instances are kind of interesting. And for someone who might not be inclined to believe the Bible, or someone who might look to look at Scripture and even look at the Gospels and say, hey, these are, these are two contradictory stories. That one says it happened this way, another says it happened this way. Um, that there's a contradiction in the account. But I think if you will kind of take a step back, read these a little bit differently, not with that presupposition that something is, something is wrong, you're going to see they're not conflicting accounts meant to tell the same story. They're two separate stories telling the bigger account of how Peter came to know Christ and came to follow after Christ. And so what you have in John is most likely his first encounter with Jesus. Right? This, is, this is the first time. So Andrew, Andrew goes and hears from John. They, they encounter Jesus, and they recognize him as the Messiah, and that's where he gets his nickname. And it's not until at a later time in, in the story in Matthew when he calls them to be their disciples. Right? So, so when he comes up to them as they're fishing and as they're, or as they're working on their nets, they knew who he was. It wasn't, it wasn't just a stranger who came and said, hey, come follow me, and, and, and by some miracle they went. They knew who he was. They knew he was this kind of new, exciting, up-and-coming rabbi, um, and so they jumped at the chance, right? In, in this time, to be someone who was called to follow after, to be a disciple of a rabbi, it was a big deal. It was a big honor. They didn't just pick anybody. They would pick the biggest and the brightest and the best and those would be the ones who got to be disciples. So for them to be fishermen, it was kind of like, okay, they had missed out that opportunity, and now they went into the family business. Well, here they have a, a second chance, a rabbi coming to them, bestowing on them the honor, hey, come and follow me. Come be my disciples. And so it was a great opportunity, um, and it explains somewhat why they would be so willing um, to go, to leave their job and to go follow after Christ. So that's his, that's his calling. One of the other things we look at is uh, when he walked on water, and I put sort of there, because uh, he, he makes it a little ways, right? But in Matthew 14, um, the, the most important part of this story, of course, is Jesus miraculously walking on water, right? Coming and calling him out of the boat. But for our purposes tonight, we, we do want to focus on Peter and take a second um, and realize Peter is, as far as we know, 
Peter is one of two people in all of history to miraculously walk on the surface of the water, right? To, to pull something like that off. Every time I have ever heard this passage taught or preached, what do, what do we talk about? We, we talk a lot about the fact that he sunk, right? That there's this, there's this kind of, he has a good moment of getting out of the boat and he has a bad moment where he, he sinks. And we talk about his lack of faith. Um, and as I, was, as I was studying for this and reading it, one of the things I thought was, where are the other disciples? They're, they're still all on the boat. So Peter, yeah, sure, he, he did. He, he began to look at the waves. He got scared. He forgot to focus on his faith. But hey, he was on the water, right? He at least got out of the boat. The rest of the disciples were not by any chance were they going to jump out of that boat. Um, so he, he gets some credit again for being being a go-getter, right, taking the initiative and jumping out. And then, of course, yes, he, he, he failed, and then he uh, began to sink. But we see, again, that's, that's his personality. That's, that's who he was. At least at the beginning, he had some energy. He had some excitement enough to get out of the boat. The next thing on your, on your list there, we have what I call the, kind of the most important question, right? And this is a, a familiar passage in Matthew 16, when Jesus does, he asks the most important question that any of us can ever answer, and that's, who do you say that I am? Right? That is, a, that, that is it. That is, for all of us, when we talk about our faith, when we think about um, who we are in Christ, that is, the, that is the question that we're answering. Who do we say that Jesus is? Because everything hinges on that answer. Everything hinges on how we would answer that question, and Peter answers it well. <clears throat> he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right? He, he gives the correct answer by God's grace, and so Jesus responds. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Um, this, over, over history and among different um, theologians, this is one of the more contested passages in Scripture. Um, depending on your denomination or your faith, uh, you're going to answer, and you're going to, not answer, you're going to read this passage very differently. What does Jesus mean when he says, on this rock, I will build my church? Is he talking about the statement, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God? Um, is, he, is he talking about Peter? And then from there, you can kind of split off. In what way is he talking about Peter? And so, um, you know, Rome, the Roman Catholic Church, for example, uh, they would answer, he, he's talking about Peter. He's saying, on Peter, I will, I will build this church. And it's from that that they would say, Peter then becomes the, the very first leader of the church or the very first pope, right? So he, he establishes the papacy. He's the very first pope. And then they, they, they would add lots of things to that. So they would say that became the moment when his leadership or his teaching would be infallible, um, that that created the office of Peter, right, the seat or the role of the pope, um, that everybody who follows after him is succeeding Peter in that role. Um, and so, so that's where you see, that's why today, you know, you have the pope. He's the leader of the church. That's all set up after the role was established uh, by Peter. Now, obviously, Protestants, uh, evangelicals, we would answer that differently. Now, it, again, lots of people would disagree. I think for the most part, we would say, yes, Jesus is referring to Peter, but he's referring to Peter in the way that he answered, in his confession 
of Christ. The, the ESV study Bible actually words it in a way that I like. It's referring to Peter in his role of confessing Christ as the Messiah. So not, not so much, so, so the focus is there on Peter, but it's not Peter as the leader and Peter as the one who's going to build the church, although he's, of course, he's going to have an important role in the early church. But really, it's that confession of Christ that is what's happening there. The emphasis is on Jesus being the Messiah um, and, and not just the way that Peter worded it or, or Peter's special role. Um, and so that's, that was an important, that was a paramount moment in the ministry of, of Peter is that he answered that question well. And Jesus said, yes, it's that confession. It's the way that you confessed that, that I'm going to build my whole church. And it's going to become a question that we all have to answer. As we move on uh, with just a couple more, there's the transfiguration uh, that we see in Mark chapter 9. So for, for time's sake, we won't read the, the whole account, but the inner circle, so Peter, James, and John, uh, are given what I would say is a, a privilege. They get to follow Jesus up to the mountain, and Jesus reveals himself in, in some of his glory. Um, and with that, appears with Moses and Elijah, and they begin to talk with each other. Uh, this, I think, is another if there's anywhere that you would talk about Peter putting his foot in his mouth, it is in, it is in this scene. He actually, what he does is, is kind of funny when you're looking at it from the outside. But picture that moment. Picture yourself on that mountain. Jesus has revealed his glory. He's shining. Uh, one, of the, one of the gospels says, shining like the sun. Um, and then Moses and Elijah miraculously appear, and they're having a conversation. And Peter thinks... I should say something now. Like, it's, it's now my turn to talk. This is, a, this is a moment where I should say something. I should bring something to the table. And he, he says something to the effect of, like, it's good that we are here. And I would think for most of us in that moment, we'd think, this is probably a time for me to just, just listen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a fly on the wall. I'm going to observe this. Uh, but Peter's just the kind of guy who thinks, I need to talk now. And in Scripture, I think it's funny, Scripture even takes the, mo the, the point to say he was interrupted, right? It says, while he was still speaking, a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Basically, Peter, just stop talking, all right? You're done talking. You have Christ. You have this miraculous moment. You don't need to add. You, you have Christ. And just a, just a perfect example of who, of who Peter is, that he's that, that kind of guy. And so then the last, the last key moment that I want us to look at is Peter's denial in Mark chapter 14. Um, a, a, obviously a well-known passage. But when you consider what, what Peter, or what I should say in this mode, moment, I would say what Simon um, is like, it, it comes up in the moments uh, leading up to Jesus' arrest and leading up to his, his death. And so to understand what is going on with his denial, um, you have to look backwards a little bit um, when, when Jesus tells them, you're all going to fall away from me. You're, you're essentially, you are all going to abandon me. And again, Peter being Peter thinks, no, I, I'm going to disagree with Jesus because that's worked out well for me in the past. He, he says, no, no, I'm not going to fall away. Even if everyone else falls, I will be the one still standing with you. He is firm. And I think he means it, or he thinks he means it, right? He, he thinks that that's true of himself, that I am, no matter what happens, I'm not going to fall away. And Jesus responds. He says, no, in fact, Peter, you specifically 
you're going to deny me. And you're not going to deny me once. You're going to deny me three times. And so what does, what does Peter do? He says, no. He said, I'm not going to do that. Even if I have to die, I would never deny you. And Jesus says, okay, they, they just move on. Um, and, and to Peter's credit, he, he holds up to that in the first moment, right? There's, there's one moment in the garden when um, the crowd comes to arrest Jesus. It seems pretty clear when they describe the, the soldiers that came with um, the arresting crowd, there were probably a lot of them, right? It wasn't, it wasn't just one or two guys. It was a good group. And when they come to arrest Jesus, what's his res- first response? Right? He grabs the sword, let's go, right? And, and he cuts the guy's ear off, and I think we know like, he wasn't aiming for his ear, right? He, he was going to kill this guy. He, was, he meant business. And when you think about it, he probably didn't assume, I'm going to be able to make my way through these Roman soldiers. So there's a moment there, again, that brief flash of, of energy uh, where he does hold up. I'm, he's not going to deny Jesus, and his, his mind, the right idea is to fight, we're going we're gonna to get through this. But then it's just a, a few hours later. It's, it's not that much further down the road comes this, this incredibly low point. What I would say it must have been the lowest point in Peter's life. When he's kind of hiding back in the courtyard, he's watching what's going on, and a servant girl sees him. And she calls him out. She says, you're you're one of his guys. You're one of his followers. And, and more than, it wasn't just this private conversation. More than that, the Bible says it, it was drawing attention from the crowd around them. So it wasn't just he and this girl talking. It was a lot of people were kind of paying attention to what she just said. And he says, I have no idea what you're talking about. I, I don't know who this man is. And as he is questioned <clears throat> these three times, he gets more and more adamant no, 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 I have no idea who this guy is. I've never met him. I don't even know what's going on. I have no idea who he is. Right? The Bible says he curses. He, he goes so far, he's got to prove, he's desperate to prove that he's not connected to that guy. The guy that a couple hours ago, he, he was clear, I'll die for you. I'll, I'll attack a, a Roman guard for you. Right? I, I will go after these guys. And he says, I, I've never even heard of that guy. Right? The, the extremes are impossible to deny. So not only does he not follow through, but he, he just totally forgets the promises that he had made to Christ. Right? And he had to be reminded of Jesus' words when the rooster crows, and it hits him. I, I, you know, he had just forgotten. He had even forgotten what Jesus had said until the rooster crowed, and he broke down, and he wept. This, this low point. Now, Kind of like we talked about when we talked about him, you know, walking on the water. I mean, we have to give him some credit. Again, he appears to be the only one around. At least he was in the courtyard. At least he was watching what was, what was going on. But that's kind of an example of, um, you know, when, when Scripture tells us that our best deeds, our best works are like filthy rags. Right? So the very best that he could do was cower in the back of the courtyard and deny Jesus when he was when he was asked about it. And so as we, as we look at Peter's life, and as we kind of wrap up, we kind of have to ask, why, why Peter? Why would he be the one to go through these things? Why does he become the leader? Why did Jesus allow him to experience these things? 
Jesus puts him in good and bad situations, right? He, he takes him to the Mount of Transfiguration, lets him experience something that almost no one has experienced. And yet at the same time, he was also the guy that Jesus pointed out and said, no, you're, you're going to deny me, right? At one time he says, get behind me, Satan, when, when Peter denies that Jesus is going to die um, as part of his, his plan. So why would he do that? It's because Jesus knew Peter had to have those experiences in order for him to come to the, the full realization of his dependence on Christ. He had to see who he was. In, in the garden, Jesus, when, the, when they were sleeping in that scene, um, Jesus says, your spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He had to show Peter, he had to take him to that low point so that Peter would understand, it can't be from me. My flesh is weak. My flesh is is sinful. He's t- letting Peter realize you are all talk. You might get emotional, you might get fired up, which is something I think we all do, but only those who rely on my strength can be the ones to, to follow through. And eventually, that's what he does. Peter grows into the disciple who would give his life for the gospel. It's, it's not specifically um, in Scripture, but it seems that several, several early church writers um, around that time or even shortly thereafter um, record his death in Rome un- under the rule of Nero. Um, in fact, it says that he, they, or excuse me, they would say that he actually had to watch his wife's crucifixion and calls out encouragement to her. It says, remember the Lord. When she's being crucified, he, he encourages her, remember the Lord. And then it, and it follows with his crucifixion, where at least it is said that he was crucified upside down. He didn't consider himself worthy um, to be killed in the same manner as Christ. He wasn't running anymore. He wasn't denying Christ anymore. He had, through the work of Christ, through the work of the Spirit, he had become Peter. He was no longer Simon. And so what, is, what does that take away for us? Um, I think it's that we understand that the Spirit is working in us, that, that there's Simon in all of us. Right? We all know and we all want to say um, that we will do great things for the Lord, that we will sacrifice and we will pursue Him. But when the time comes, a lot of times we, we shy away. We, we cower away much like He did. We have a lot of talk, but not a lot of follow-through. And so our desire should be that we allow Christ to teach us through those experiences. And when we have those low moments to remember, this is for a reason. Christ has put me in this situation so that I will remember how much I need him. When we, those moments when we just come face to face with our sin, when it breaks us and we are weeping over our sin, it's for a reason. It's for a purpose. And that purpose is that we might become sanctified. We might become more dependent on Christ. Um, and so I pray tonight that that would be our encouragement as we look at the life of of Peter, um, we'd see the mess-ups, and we would identify with them. We would remember those moments in our life, and then remember that Christ has a purpose for each and every one of those. So I pray that we would take advantage of them. So let's pray, and then Jaron is going to close us out with, uh, with one more hymn. Father, we thank you uh, for your word tonight. We thank you for um, the stories that we see in the Gospels of your work with Peter. God, I pray that we would be encouraged, um, that we would see uh, that you worked in him. You you took a a humble fisherman who brought nothing of his own 
um, and you made him a, a disciple for your namesake, for your glory, that tonight we are, we're not here to praise Peter, we're here to praise you because of what you did in his life. And so I pray that we would look for those opportunities, that we would embrace them, and that you would move in us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. I know for me, as I contemplate what we just heard there, uh, we can identify a lot with Peter in that we've stumbled and we've fallen, uh, and yet Jesus has been faithful to stay committed to us just as he was to Peter, um, as we'll continue to learn next week. And so uh, we're going to sing hymn number 275, I Surrender All. And uh, again, this is one of those songs where um, I want it to be true, but I know it's not always completely true in me, that I am completely surrendering everything to him, that I I have that tension like Peter does between faith and doubt and uh, obedience and disobedience. And so as we sing this song, it's okay to feel that tension so long as we look to Jesus and ask him to fulfill that in us and to give us that heart. And so uh, let's kind of sing this as a close to just to make it a, a prayer uh, that he would help us surrender everything to him every moment uh, that we are given. All right, let's sing this together. Oh, to Jesus,
for having intentions to do this or to do that and to stumble and fall along the way. God, we are thankful that you are committed to conform us to the image of your Son. And Lord, we thank you that we are not who we once were. So Lord, continue to move and continue to work in us. Lord, for your namesake, others around us who need the light of Jesus, Lord, help us to surrender. God, we thank you that you gave your all for us. Lord, help us to do that for you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being here tonight. We love you guys. We'll be here again next week every Sunday night except holidays, all right? Bring your friends, all right? We'll see you later.